from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 11 through 12. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. The website can be found at scriptureandprophecy.com. That's where you go to find the archives. That's where you go to support this mission of truth. Today, we are resuming our study, the Acts of the Apostles. We're ready for chapter 5 today. Now, chapter 5 is only 42 verses, I believe. And it's the only chapter that we're covering today for a couple of reasons. Number one, it kind of deserves its own attention. And number two, the following chapter, chapter six, really needs to be a part of the chapters of chapter seven and that whole study. So, uh, Lord willing, next week we'll, we'll deal with chapter six and seven. Today we're dealing with chapter five. Now, this chapter, while short, is filled with all kinds of wonders and miracles and crazy things that are happening through the apostles. Now, I read from you from John uh, to start the podcast where Jesus tells them that, you know, some of the miracles that he has done, not only will they do, but they'll do even greater ones than that when he goes to the Father. So what happens when he goes to the Father? Well, then he, he goes to the Father and then the Holy Spirit is able to come down. And so the apostles are doing these amazing works through the power of the Holy Spirit for the sake of the gospel so that people would see these miracles and believe that there's truth to what they're saying. Uh, I believe it was last week we had the guy who had sat at the beautiful gate in front of the temple for over 40 years. They all knew he was paralegic and yet Peter commanded him to get up and walk and he did. And of course, the apostles were commanded not to do these miracles or to teach in the name of Jesus. And that's going to become a rub uh, in this chapter as well. But one of the most interesting stories is the very first story that we're getting ready to read. Now, last week it ended with uh, the, uh, uh, the Christian people selling their possessions, selling their land and their homes, and just kind of putting it all in to the church and dispersing it and taking care of each other, right? This beautiful picture of what's yours is mine and mine is yours and we're we're just going to share among believers and care for each other so that there's no need among us. That's how it ends. And our story today kind of picks up on that, but it take it picks up with uh this couple here, Ananias and Sapphira. And uh, it's a wild story. So that's how it's going to start this morning. I'm going to read that part of the story, and then I'm going to give you some commentary from Matthew Henry on that, because uh, it's going to be much needed. So with that backdrop, let's begin. 
The Acts of the Apostles, Chapter 5 But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you had conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came over all who heard of it. The young men got up and covered him, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours. And his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that there was the price. Then Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things. Okay, please note... Let's talk about this for a second. Because on the surface you might go, well, he sold his land, he gave a chunk of it to the church. What's the problem here? Why would they, why would they deserve death? The first thing to note is this is the beginning of the church. All right? And you'll notice that as a result of their death, great fear came over the other believers about this concept or this idea of daring to lie to the Holy Spirit. Daring to lie to God. The stakes are high. It's, you know, this is the beginning of the church. So what is the actual sin? The actual sin is not that they didn't give every dime of the property that they had sold. It was that they acted and lied to the Holy Spirit and lied to God so that they would maybe receive some kind of praise in front of men as if they had given all of it when that's not what they have done. Let me read some commentary from Matthew Henry about this. Here's what he says. The sin of Ananias and Sapphira was that they were ambitious of being thought eminent disciples when they were not true disciples. Hypocrites may deny themselves may forego their worldly advantage in one instance with a prospect of finding their account in something else. They were covetous of the wealth of the world and distrustful of God and his providence. They thought they might serve both God and mammon. They thought to deceive the apostles. 
The Spirit of God in Peter discerned the principle of unbelief reigning in the heart of Ananias. But whatever Satan might suggest, he could not have filled the heart of Ananias with this wickedness had he not been consenting. The falsehood was an attempt to deceive the Spirit of Truth, who so manifestly spoke and acted by the apostles. The crime of Ananias was not his retaining part of the price of the land. He might have kept it all had he pleased. But his endeavoring to impose upon the apostles with an awful lie, from the desire to make a vain show, joined with covetousness. But if we think to put a cheat upon God, we shall put a fatal cheat upon our own souls. How sad to see those relations who should quicken one another to that which is good, hardening one another to that which is evil. And this punishment was in reality mercy to a vast numbers. It would cause strict self-examination, prayer, and dread of hypocrisy, covetousness, and vainglory, and it should still do so. It would prevent the increase of false professors. Let us learn hence how hateful falsehood is to the God of truth. And not only shun a direct lie, but all advantages from the use of doubtful expression and double meaning in our speech. So as we saw in the scriptures, it caused great fear. Matthew Henry points out in his commentary how important this was and how merciful it actually was. Because as a result of this punishment, the rest of the church, it caused the rest of the church to use strict self-examination and prayer, and the dread of hypocrisy, and covetousness, and vainglory. And as Matthew Henry pointed out, it should still do so within our own hearts today. He says, let us learn hence how hateful falsehood is to the God of truth. Be careful about lying and, you know, to the Holy Spirit, to God, and in the presence of men. I see this on YouTube where people pretend they know things that they don't know. For example, I'll just use this one as an example because it's one that comes up so often. There's so many YouTube teachers who are teaching people these deeper meanings in Scripture using Hebrew, yet they couldn't read two sentences out of a Hebrew Bible. But people look to them as if they have some authority. And I didn't realize this myself, and I'm not going to go into a deep thing, but it wasn't until after I'd spent four or five years of studying Hebrew myself and taking college courses and researching it that I realized that a lot of these people have no idea what they're talking about. Because when I go back and listen to them, I'd be like, well, that's not true. And I realized they don't even know Hebrew. They're presenting themselves as if they're a Hebrew scholar. But if I were to hand them my Hebrew Bible, which is only Hebrew, no English, no, they couldn't make heads or tails of it. In my mind, that's an example of presenting a falsehood, of being a false professor to gain some kind of vainglory 
or to lift oneself up and put oneself on some kind of pedestal as if you've got some deeper secret knowledge that the rest of us and the rest of the church hasn't had for 2,000 years. Be careful with these things. God takes it very seriously when you present yourself in a way that's deceitful to the brethren for some kind of vain reason or covetous reason. So I'll leave it at that for now, but we'll have a deeper conversation hopefully about this in the future. With that said, let's move on. We're ready for verse 12 here. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added to their number. To such an extent that they were even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any of them. Also the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. But the high priest rose up along with all the associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They laid hands on the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison, and talking with them out, he said, Go stand and speak to the people in the temple, the whole message of this life. Upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and began to teach. So please note, we have a lot of interesting miracles. There's so many miracles being done through Peter and through the other apostles that people are bringing the sick out into the streets, hoping that, the, that Peter's shadow might come upon them and they would be healed. I mean, these are this is some serious uh, power of God taking place right now. Peter gets locked up, but it doesn't matter. What does God do? He sends an angel, sends a messenger. And the, and the angel busts Peter out of prison. Or busts the apostles out of prison, I suppose. It doesn't say exactly who it was. So they, he says they laid hands on the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison. And talking with them out, he said, Go stand and speak to the people in the temple. The whole message of this life... And upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and began to teach. Continuing on. Now when the high priest and the associates came, they called the council together, even all the senate of sons of Israel, and sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. But when the officers who came did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported back, saying, We found the prison house locked quite securely and the guards standing at the doors but when we had opened up we found no one inside and when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests heard these words they were greatly perplexed about them as to what would come of this but some came and reported to them the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people then the captain went along with the officers 
and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. When they had brought them, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, intended to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our Father raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand, a prince and a savior to grant repentance of, to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things. So is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. But when they had heard this, they were cut quick, cut to the quick and intended to kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined up with him. But he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it, was, it, but if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may even be found fighting against God. So please note, so this wise, well-respected religious leader stands up and he says, look, there's been all kinds of these things that's popped up in the past and they always fall apart because they're not of God. In this same instance, dealing with these apostles of Jesus, if they're not of God, then it's all going to come to naught. But if, they, but if it is of God, you won't be able to stop it. And in fact, you'll be in opposition to God. And here we are, 2,000 years later. Obviously, it was of God, wasn't it? Verse 40. And they took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. And that is the end of chapter 5. So the apostles are beaten, told to stop doing all these amazing things in the name of Jesus. After being beaten, they walk away rejoicing <laughs> is that the attitude of Christians today oh I've been counted worthy to suffer for Christ's name I don't that doesn't sound like modern day Christianity does it by the way I look in the mirror when I say that we should all examine ourselves Sometimes I think we spend a little too much time examining everybody else. We need to examine our own walk and our own faith 
we're the ones that'll be account. You're going to be accountable to God. I'm going to be accountable to God. You're going to stand before the throne. I'm going to stand before the throne. The books are going to be opened, and you're not going to be able to say, "What about so and so?" and what did and what did they do or didn't do? Examine yourself daily to see whether or not you're in the faith. Look at your own walk. Get on your knees before God. Humble yourself. Again, I speak as a man, and I speak to myself. These are actually thoughts I'm thinking to myself that I'm just regurgitating uh, for all of you. Oh, the mercy of God, that it would be upon us all. We, we have so much. And unlike this early church, we've been blessed with every imaginable tool and every imaginable resource and the word of God in our own language printed by the hundreds of millions of copies. And uh, we have the privilege of living in a world that, while it's still at odds with the kingdom of God, in most cases it's a lot more tolerable to... Christianity than it was at the beginning of the church that we're reading about. Not so and not so much in some places, but a majority of the world, while they're still hostile towards us, uh, I'm still recording this podcast that's going out to all over the world, right? I'm still able to do that kind of thing. We live in a time of great privilege, and yet... We act as if it's not so. Anyway. That's all I have for you this morning. I pray that you've been blessed, that your hearts have been pierced. I hope that this work is doing something for you, feeding you in some way, helping you in some way, encouraging you in some way, strengthening you in some way. Thanks for listening. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support. Peace and grace be upon you all. And until next time, God bless.